The Buffalo Beat is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers. They're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. The Bills will be back home against the Baltimore Ravens coming up. So to get in the door at the lowest price possible and the best seats possible, check out GameTime. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. All right, welcome everyone to a very special episode here of the Buffalo Beat right here on the Athletic Podcast Network. If you haven't noticed, site-wide, we have done some fun things going back and thinking about the decade and figured it would be a great little uh, little treat to go back into the last 10 years of, of games, of players, of everything like that, and to go over what uh, Matthew Fairburn has compiled, which is the all-decade team, which I'm sure there's uh, quite a few areas where we can debate back and forth, and a lot of people have many emotionally driven, strong opinions about a lot of these guys. And um, th- this uh, this approach to it, I mean, in addition to the all-decade team, you can check out the all decade awards that I put together. I mean, there's a there's a lot of spicy little things to consider as as we go forward. But the all decade team, I think, will spark the most uh, debate of all of this. Yeah, it starts right at the top with the quarterback position, and I think the reason there's so much debate about the Bills all decade team is the fact that the decade wasn't very good. Uh, well, they, how dare you? First off, they had. A right. lot of bad seasons. They were six and ten or worse five times, just two winning seasons the entire decade. They made the playoffs just once in twenty seventeen. So star power was lacking and it made some spots tough to pick. There were a few easy um decisions, but uh a few of the spots were you said, really? Is this guy? Yeah, yeah. Right. I guess he's. I guess he's all decade, uh, and that's a mildly, uh, mildly depressing. But the the quarterback spot, I think, might be the most interesting one of all because yeah. they didn't have a true franchise quarterback this decade, but they had a lot of guys who flirted with the 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 title of franchise quarterback. Well, let's uh, let's first go go and uh, list off all of the different starting quarterbacks from the 2010s. This is fun. There were kind a lot of, of them. Not there fun. Were... 2010 had Ryan Fitzpatrick, Trent Edwards, and Brian Brom. 2011-2012 were both Ryan Fitzpatrick. 2013 featured EJ Manuel, Thad Lewis, and Jeff Toole. 2014 featured Kyle Orton and EJ Manuel. 2015 had EJ, Tyrod, and Matt Castle, who technically started a game because he uh, took the first snap of the first game of the season. Then 2016 was Tyrod and EJ. 2017 was Tyrod and Nathan Peterman. And then last year was Josh Allen, Nathan Peterman, Derek Anderson, LaShawn McCoy, technically, and Matt Barkley. 
which spawned the Matt Barkley Award, which everyone has kind of gone on to. So lots of worthy candidates there, right? Yeah, not so much. I went with Tyrod Taylor as my all-decade quarterback, Mm -hmm. which perhaps is a bit controversial, but I don't think it should be. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick deserves mention and consideration, and oddly, you could make a case probably for Kyle Orton. One season, though? That was what made me leave him off the list. But I went with Tyrod Taylor. I mean, the good part about it is Taylor and Fitzpatrick started roughly the same amount of games. Fitzpatrick started 45, Taylor started 43. So it's easy to size them up, um, you know, next to one another. Fitzpatrick had 1,400-ish more passing yards, 71 passing touchdowns to Tyrod's 51. But Taylor also had 14 rushing touchdowns. So it's really 71 to 65 in touchdowns. And the number that really got me was Fitzpatrick threw 54 interceptions, Tyrod threw 16. I mean, there's a reason why Tyrod Taylor was uh, a more more successful quarterback in terms of leading his team to victories. He was much more efficient. And really the only passing categories where he was falling short of Fitzpatrick were yards and touchdowns but really the gap is closed considerably when you consider taylor's rushing Mm -hmm. and he was just much more efficient so maybe that's controversial i don't know i wasn't here during the ryan fitzpatrick era but i i thought it was pretty clear cut i think above all else it would be an emotional decision as opposed to with fitzpatrick there was always this well not always at least in 2011 there was that air like man they could really be something this year with the way that they started, with the way that they beat New England and Oakland back-to-back and comeback victories, um, even getting to the record that they did up until when he suffered broken ribs against Washington up in Toronto at the Rogers Center. That was, that was the year where I think outside of maybe even this current year in 2019 – where Bills fans had the most hope that it would result in something other than rooting for a draft pick. It ended up uh, unraveling and with fans rooting for a draft pick by the end of it. But, uh, but it wasn't just this all-out malaise right from the start. So maybe that would be the emotional decision. Plus, he was a really well-liked guy. Um, very funny like to crack jokes in press conferences. I mean, we've seen what he's done over the last few years in Tampa Bay, Miami, all his different stops. Uh, But you're right in the fact that he was a very hit-or-miss quarterback, and because of that, really limited what the offense could do. And it almost felt like once defenses figured out Chan Gailey's offense and that Fitzpatrick couldn't really drive the ball down the field, it basically cut their offensive efforts in half. So where when they had the incredible start to begin the season, things weren't as open later on in the season. And the cracked ribs definitely had something to do with it. But all in all, you just saw again and again, even back in 2012, a limited guy. And it's not to go against his character or anything like that. Teammates love him, everything like that. If there was an all-teammate team, 
he would be the quarterback of that. But Tyrod Taylor, the rushing, the passing, did he push the ball down the field as much as you would want? No. Was he efficient? Early on, he kind of did. That's I think that's where his numbers are boosted. We tend to remember Tyrod Taylor as the 2017 version of Tyrod Taylor because that's the one that you know sparked so much conversation, and uh, he was eventually benched. And you know, 2015 when he first got into the starting lineup, he would push the ball down the field. Under Greg Roman, he was a much more productive quarterback than he was. Um, under Rick Dennison, which is, I think, more of an indictment on Dennison than it is Tyrod Taylor. And they tried to make him something that he wasn't, but he was a pretty – he was he was fun to watch, uh, especially early on. Towards the end, he became somewhat frustrating to watch. But um, I think he was he was better than he was given credit for uh, almost across the board. Uh, and was he – a true franchise guy was he a no-brainer franchise quarterback no because if he were then he'd be starting in the nfl somewhere right now rather than backing up philip rivers but he was the best quarterback they had this decade which is amazing because he he was probably what slightly above average yeah i think you would say i agree with you that tyrod is is the choice for for that um however i want to raise a question if Josh Allen and the Bills go to the playoffs this year and win a playoff game, does Josh Allen become the quarterback of the decade? Probably. I guess yeah. it depends on if that counts as the decade. If he's oh, a- the absolutely, playoff in the twenty twenty because it's the two thousand nineteen season, so I would count it. Yeah, I would say more than likely he he would, depending on how how he performs he he has the ability i don't think this this is such a clear-cut obvious choice that the gap is so large that josh allen couldn't close it uh in the final six games of the season and into the playoffs because let's face it if they win a playoff game and he plays a big part in that that's something they haven't done since the clinton administration so like (laughs) i mean you I would have to think you, you got to give him some credit for that. And um, Tyrod Taylor took part in a playoff game for the Bills, but it was arguably one of the worst playoff games uh, any of our eyes have ever seen. So I Oof, think yeah. um, it's not so far and away the runaway. I still think uh, Allen has some work to do to, to close the gap between he and Tyrod Taylor, but um, he's been he's been trending the right way, and certainly those moments – or what, what it takes. The reason I went with Tyrod Taylor is because at the time of writing this, there's a lot up in the air about oh, Josh absolutely. Allen. Yeah. And there's we just haven't seen – it doesn't didn't feel like a season-ish of starts was enough to make that determination one way or the other. So went with, uh, went with Taylor. But that's kind of why I say Kyle Orton was in the back of my mind because you could <laughs> argue that his season was the best season a Bills quarterback has had on a per-game basis of any in the decade, which is astounding. Bit of a uh, a damning thing that Josh Allen could steal this thing right at the last second here, um, especially seeing as how last year when he first started, he was not good. I think the thing working against Tyrod, and this is just as much to do with Sean McDermott than it is Tyrod, but they benched Tyrod for two games for Nathan Peterman that season. It was not... Uh, 
not an ideal scenario. And well, it was just the one game, wasn't it? It's, Peterman started two games, so maybe one Tyra- was an injury. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he benched him for yeah. for the L.A. Chargers game. My mistake. But either well, way, to be fair, Nathan also, Peterman beat out Josh Allen in a quarterback competition, so that, that's true. a wash. <laughs> also true. Um, but yeah, perhaps Peterman deserves some mention for inexplicably <laughs> getting this job more than more than a man of his capability should. I would like to throw my hat in the ring for AJ McCarron. That last second preseason winner in Chicago is something I will never forget. No. Perhaps if Josh Allen does emerge as a franchise quarterback in the next six weeks, Jordan Palmer deserves all-decade mention as a man who not only was on this roster but then coached (laughs) up the Bills franchise quarterback. We could have an all-decade team of just the slappy quarterbacks they've brought in to fill the gaps. Oh, yeah. Vince Young, Matt Matt Leiner, Brian Brom, who we already mentioned. Brommer. Quite the cast of characters. Absolutely. All right, let's 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 do the rest of, of this. Um, running back's an interesting one because I think there's a head versus heart debate here. It's the same thing as quarterback, really, is if you're looking at it objectively, it's Tyrod Taylor over Ryan Fitzpatrick. But if you're looking at it with your with your heart, then you're, you might remember Fitzpatrick a little bit more fondly. I think the same goes for running back. Mm-hmm. I put LaShawn McCoy and I not really sure it's particularly close given the high end production that he had but I did put and I did this at certain spots if you're reading through this I did um others deserving mention where there were people deserving mention I didn't do it at every position because quite frankly at some positions there were not others deserving mention but I did put CJ Spiller and Fred Jackson down um Mm -hmm. and Fred Jackson I think is the one you're referring to in the head versus heart debate he was certainly a a popular guy and still is and still is and had some great seasons uh, and if not for injury uh, was on his way to an incredible one uh, the one year so but McCoy topped 1600 yards from scrimmage twice in his four seasons with the team he had an awful year in 2017 but the three years before that he was damn good and uh, has an outside shot at getting to the Hall of Fame, which almost nobody else on this list can claim. So there's right. that part and, of it, too. And it wasn't just one year for LaShawn McCoy. I know um, last season wasn't a great one for him by any stretch, and but the the two before that were, yeah, were the other pretty darn good. Three yeah, the three were, before that, I should say. Well, how long was he here? 15, 15 16, 16 se- 17. And then, well, four years. Four years, yeah. So 15, 16, and 17 were all good years. I thought I was miscounting for yeah. some reason. Yeah, 2018 was awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's certainly lost a step, but it's, again, it's easy to remember him that way, but 2015 and 16 were damn good. And 2017, he was pretty good as well. Uh, you know, quite a few touchdowns, and they probably don't get to the playoffs that year without LaShawn McCoy. Fred Jackson only had one year where he was a 1,000-yard rusher, and it was not in this decade. Yeah, so there was that aspect. And if you look at C.J. Spiller, he had 1,700 yards from scrimmage in 2012. Yep. He had a great season, but the the staying power wasn't there. Another guy that maybe if the, there wasn't a coaching change, he would have uh, he would have gone on to have a more successful career, but... He just he was more of a flash in the pan than anything. Mm-hmm. And Fred Jackson's best season was 2011, when he was averaging five and a half yards a carry, 
Then he broke his leg after 10 games, um, just shy of 1,000. At that point, he had 39 catches for 442 yards. One of the best running back seasons if he finished it out. It would have might have been the best of all the running back seasons, but um, didn't go his way. And obviously that 2011 team is the one that a lot of people this past decade look at and go, oh, what could have been that year? What could have been? What could have been? But, you know, that that's that's the way football goes sometimes. So it goes. Yep. Uh, now the, the probably the most exciting discussion, fullback and tight end. <laughs> I like, These were pretty... Uh, well, here here's the thing. Fans are going to get pissed off because Charles Clay is on this list. He was not bad. Yeah, I know. I, I remember. Think, and it, this is another thing. It's because where of the contract. It's the contract. If yeah. you can remove the contract from it, you could argue that it's the worst contract they handed out this decade. And yet, Ooh, I would argue against he, it. He, I, I think there were others, but it's in the conversation. Yes, uh, very much at, so. At the very least, and yet he was pretty productive up until that last season. Uh, a lot of injuries and and things that nagged at him in that last season, but he was okay. But he's not the first team all decade tight end. Yeah, this one was Scott easy. Chandler. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the guy with his longevity and he's one of the most productive tight ends in franchise history, which says a lot about the franchise, but Scott was not bad. Uh and he had arguably the best touchdown celebration of the decade, shoveling snow yes. in Detroit. So uh I have a fun Scott Chandler story, if you if go you, on if you would like. Uh, Scott no, Chandler. I don't like fun. No fun allowed. Well, I do know that about you, so I always have to clear it. Uh, Scott Chandler, the one year he was a free agent, uh, I did this thing when I was working for WGR. I did this post. I, I put odds on each one of the uh, the free agents and how likely they were to, to resign. And for Chandler... At that point, I didn't really understand odds all that well, so I'm just like, oh, I'll just I'll just put these out there because you know they just based on what I think is somewhat likely to not likely at all to very likely. Chandler, I threw something like eighteen to one or something like that, and so they resign him. I think it's it was in February. I'll, I'll never forget. I I called him to to you know, put a story out and, and everything like that. When I called him, we were chatting everything. His, his, the first answer, he said, you know, it's great to be back in Buffalo. And, and, you know, I really like where the franchise is headed and, uh, really love my teammates. And I know, I know the odds said 18 to one, but, uh, I'm just like, you <laughs> sneaky one, Scott Chandler. You sneaky one, but uh, but yeah. So that was my Scott Chandler story. against all odds. Against Scott him. Chandler, the all-decade tight end. <laughs> he went from having eighteen to one odds to returning to the team to being the all-decade tight end. A real great story. Fullback yes. was kind of. I posed the question in the story: Do all-decade teams even have fullbacks? But the Bills have always had one, so I felt like I had to do it. Tim Graham lobbied for because I sent this to you guys before I finalized it and made a few tweaks based on your recommendations. Tim Graham was lobbying for Patrick DeMarco, so I put him in others deserving mention. But what about Corey McIntyre, and you were lobbying for Corey McIntyre a little bit. But Jerome Felton, man, Jerome Felton was a damn good fullback, and his best years were probably in Minnesota, not in Buffalo. But those great years that Lashawn McCoy had were 
in large part to Jerome Felton. I'm surprised you didn't try and ramrod Frank Summers onto this. I thought about it. I mean, great, all-time great guy. And But, yeah, I some of the fullbacks I just couldn't figure out. I'm like, the best rushing seasons they had were with Jerome Felton. LaShawn McCoy poured a Gatorade out in the locker room or a water bottle or something uh, when they cut Jerome Felton to pour one out for his homie. He meant a lot to LaShawn McCoy, and so I felt like they deserved to be a tandem in the backfield. Yeah. Uh, Wide receiver is fun to talk about because it's a fun position, but it's kind of an open and shut case because there wasn't really any production at the position outside of a couple of guys. And one isn't thought of as fondly as the other just because of how he was acquired, but he was... In my opinion, the most talented player, the most talented receiver, absolutely, but one of the most talented players they had on this roster, maybe at any point of the decade, Sammy Watkins. Yeah, he and he put up decent production despite being constantly hurt. That one eight-game eight stretch he had, what was that, 2015, I think it was? Yeah, I believe so. And God, 20, he 2014, good. he had almost 1,000 yards as a rookie, and he was dealing with EJ Manuel for a quarter of that season and then this midseason switch to Kyle Orton. So he had uh quite quite a little career even though it was brief and injury riddled. And I I really think, you know, another current player that could sneak onto the list is John Brown, but again, yeah, half a season of work at the time of writing and recording, not enough to put him in over We've got Sammy Watkins and Stevie Johnson. Yeah, Stevie's got to be on there. Stevie has back-to-back-to-back to back to back thousand yard years. I mean, that's that's it, it was him. And Lee Evans was already gone by the time Stevie started going. Andy had the only ten touchdown season um, from a receiver. The that's most pretty good. The most fun receiver on this well liked, still very much still so. very much well liked, and a great story going yes. undrafted. And that just goes to show no, how he, perception. That's right, seventh yeah. rounder. But that just goes to show how the perception can be different. A guy gets drafted in the seventh round and way overachieves, or a guy they trade the farm for and pick number four overall, um, the perception is going to be a lot different. The other guy I considered um, was Robert Woods. And that, to me, it there was too much of a drop off. Yeah. Um, I agree. I thought about going with three receivers. Like, you know, it depends how you kind of look at it. And if there were one deserving, I think Robert Woods was talented enough. I just think he had horrible situations, some bad luck with injuries and it didn't all work out for him, but he was a pretty good receiver. Uh, yeah. and, and I at least wanted to mention him here. The oh. offensive line is kind of funny. <laughs> um, it's, I couldn't go with left guard, right guard, left tackle, right tackle. I just couldn't do it because I don't think you want Eric Pierce on this list. Well, it would have been like <laughs> Eric Pierce, Jordan Mills probably would have got consideration. Oh no, you know what I mean. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of the uh, the guard. Craig Urbic would have been in the conversation. Not ideal. I just couldn't do it. It just didn't feel right to have Eric Pierce. John on Miller ma- would have made a case. Right. He started a while. And had one that, really good you year. Just can't have it. So yeah. The tackles were Cordy Glenn and Deion Dawkins. And Dawkins this year has helped that. He's solidified it yes. with the way he started the season. Otherwise, who do you go with? Man, that's a great question. 
That's why this was a weird position. And guard, I went with Richie Incognito and Andy Levitri. Wow. If you don't have them two, who do you go with? You know what I mean? Right. It's I tried to go back through and sort by games started just to get a, a starting off point. And it was that's where Eric Pierce and Jordan Mills and Craig Urbic and all these guys popped up. Sean Charl Henderson pops up. If Deion Dawkins wasn't on this, that would be a damning remark to his career at this point because they have had nothing at offensive tackle for years and years and years. Yeah, it's been a really bad position. Yeah. Same go, you know, and Cordy Glenn was really solid. Again, another guy you remember by the end, but yeah. should remember by how solid he was. He was an awesome player on his rookie contract. He really was. And uh, I remember watching him play as left tackle and you know, he's a bigger guy so you don't think he'd be able to move as well as he as he did, but I mean, he was he was just a, a great player for them for quite some time. Um, and, yeah, and then center was Eric Wood. I don't think there's any debate there. Uh, yeah, that was probably the easiest because yeah. I'm not sure how many other guys played center. Unless you want could have gone with Russell Bodine, thought about it real close, came down to the end, decided to go with Eric Wood. Uh, Eric Wood was probably the easiest choice on this list except for one other guy. There was a – I thought you were going to go with Mackie McPherson myself. Oh, I did have a soft spot for Mackie McPherson. Great guy. There was another. There was another uh, center that in the 2010 area that was just absolute, absolutely awful. But I, I can't. I can't even remember his name. That's that's where we're at right now. Um, okay, defensively, we're gonna try and rip through this a little bit quicker, just because a lot of this is open and shut. Um, the defensive line. Say what you will about how Mario Williams got his sacks. The fact that is he put up the production that he did, and he is absolutely deserving over anybody else that they've had um, outside of the other guy that's the defensive end, which is Jerry Hughes. Which, for me, Jerry Hughes, uh, when I was doing my all-decade awards, he was on the short list for player of the decade because how long he's been around, how good of a player he, he has been throughout the entire decade. Stats be damned. I mean, he has been an impact defender for them for years on end. And he, and he got to Buffalo in 2013. But he paves the way for one of your defensive tackle picks, who is the all-decade player of the year, without question, which is Kyle Williams. I mean, there, you can't really go with anybody else with how productive he was, the talent, the leader he was, how long he played for the decade. And then uh, your other one, good old friend Marcel Darius. Hard to go with anybody else, right? He was good yeah. for a while. This is the defensive line they had in 2014 and 2013 and 2015, and then Rex Ryan butchered it. Yes. Uh, but Though I do have a soft spot for Stefan Charles. Stefan Charles. <laughs> there was um, Leger Doosable. Leger uh, Doosable. I'm trying to think of uh, TJ Barnes they had. Did they really? Didn't they flip him over to the offensive line or something? Yes. They did something weird with him. All right. That's another one. It was easy to pick him in part because these guys are all good players, but also because there were not good alternatives unless you wanted to go with Starr or Mm -hmm. Harrison Phillips. But as we get to linebacker, that's where we get into – so far we don't have a lot of guys from the current team. Right. But there's some coming up. Yeah. Yeah. the linebacker, I, I know when when you were 
trying to get some of our thoughts on this. The linebacker that I kind of stumped for here was Nigel Bradham because and I like Nigel Bradham. Yeah, after as a after a down first year or so, he came back. It it was right after um, he had his first child, um, or you know, and he came back with a completely different attitude. Just was awesome on the field. His career has has gone pretty well since he's left Buffalo too. So um, it, Nigel Bradham to me is is kind of a cinch because there haven't been a lot of great linebackers either. Which Bradham, one of my favorite great. guys to cover. Yeah, he, he was fun to talk as to a, as a person. Absolutely. The other guys I went with were Lorenzo Alexander and Matt Milano. In the spirit of forming a complete linebacker group with guys who can play the positions: weak side, mill, strong side. Lorenzo Alexander, pretty easy pick here, given what he's done. Yeah. Um, you know, the sack totals he racked up, um, the one year under Rex Ryan, uh, and then just the, the way he's become such a pillar in the locker room and still producing uh, at a high level despite his age. And Matt Milano has been, you know, I know he's more of a, a weak side Nigel Bradham was kind of outside. Basically, we kind of have three outside linebackers here. But I think if if you were playing, you could put one of them in the middle and and be fine. Matt Milano, the way he came back this year kind of solidified this for me. I think he's potentially going to be the best linebacker they've had since 2010. He might already be there. Um, Mm -hmm. And they didn't have... Uh, the best decade at this position, but he's I mean, certainly more than deserved. Who else was even in consideration? Like Preston Brown, Brandon Spikes. Like it was, it was not, it was not great. Yeah, the, uh, Kelvin Ke- Shepard, Kiko Alonso. Uh, but he yeah. only had one season, four so ga- four games. You you really couldn't like give it to Kiko Alonso. It was a four game stretch where he was the best player on the field, and then he fell off a cliff. Yeah, I also always thought. That that 2013 season, he wasn't quite as good yep. as everybody thought he was. I but agree. That's neither here nor there. My favorite um, debate, perhaps, of a position that isn't quarterback is safety, because there are legitimately four candidates, probably three, um, that I would take seriously, but two of them are on the current roster, which says something. Uh, who did you end up going with and why? I went Micah Hyde and Jarris Bird. Uh, as I almost went Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer. Um, but I couldn't let you do that. I decided Jarris Bird deserved to be there, and then it was a matter of picking between Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. Mm-hmm. I've considered Micah Hyde by a hair slightly more valuable, but I think their value comes in, in how they play as a tandem. But I also... Had to throw in, a, as a guy deserving mention, Aaron Williams. Uh, the way he revived his career at yeah, safety, I think, was was really impressive. And this is perhaps the strongest position on this all-decade team. The secondary in general would be tough to deal with, for sure. But Jarris Bird, at his height, was a, a pretty damn good player. Oh, my and, goodness. He, he was, and this is all due respect to Micah Hyde, Jarris Bird was the best safety I have seen in Buffalo since I started covering the team in 2010. I mean, he he changed games. His The way he read plays, um, the way he baited quarterbacks into throwing it deep. And I remember this one play he made. It was either a, I think it was a Thursday night football game against Miami at, uh, 
then Ralph Wilson Stadium, and he came from all the way over the other side of the field. And this is a guy who ran like a high four fives at the 40-yard dash. Came from all the way at the other side of the field and laid out and dove by the by the sideline and picked off a pass of Tannehill, I think it was at the time. The guy was just, he was awesome. And ended up ended up not going well down the stretch just because they franchised him. He was pretty pissed off about that, you could tell. Uh, and then they wound up just letting him walk. And he goes to New Orleans. Doesn't really have the same sort of impact as, as he did in Buffalo. But in Buffalo, man, was he one of the best safeties in football. And it wasn't particularly close. Yeah, they've had some great safety play uh, recently. I know a lot of people are probably wondering, man, Bakari Rambo would have been a great addition to this list, but he just didn't make the cut. The safety and, and you position know what? was just too strong. Do you know why he didn't make the cut? Because he once told me that he ate frozen hot dogs out of the freezer. That's, <laughs> that's why. right, and that's enough. That's enough I'm to out. get you off this list. I'm out, quite frankly. Yeah, but Hyde over Poyer, I agree with you. I mean, Hyde. Hyde has discouraged every team from throwing it deep because of how much he covers that up, and that that is worth a lot. Um, and Poyer has been a good, strong safety for them, but Hyde, if Hyde wasn't in the lineup, like you replace Hyde with, I don't know, who's who's their backup? Jaquan Johnson at free safety. That's a huge drop-off, and teams are approaching playing the Bills that much differently. So uh, I... I'd, that's that's kind of the way that I lean. Like, who would, where would be, how would you your defense get attacked if this guy wasn't on the field? And Hyde to me just changes the game. Yeah, he really does. And, and there's you know quite a bit to be said for um, what he brings to the defense from a communication standpoint and a leadership standpoint. He's he's been worth every penny, mm-hmm. and there weren't that many pennies to pay him as it turned out. Yeah, uh, he's he's underpaid. Yes, he is. Uh, the cornerback spot, not really that many. They drafted a ton of them, by the way, but not really many to consider outside of the guys that you uh, you put on there, which were Stephon Gilmore, Tredavious White. Leotis McKelvin sneaking on there. Leotis McKelvin could play both nickel and outside. He He's was just an all-time – like when I think of this decade, I feel like I'm going to think of Leotis McKelvin. Yes. And but he was a bit of a disappointment wait, based really? on drafts slot. You won't think of Leotis McKelvin? Point blank, period. I mean, the guy was entertaining. He was a good cornerback, probably not as good as his draft spot. But when deciding between him and Nikel Roby Coleman, McKelvin was a bigger part of the decade. And I know he wasn't always a nickel, but he could play in there. And I also made um, McKelvin the return man. Oh, so you could have done So Roby I could have copped out, but I didn't. That's my point. That's how strongly I felt about Leotis McKelvin. But Gilmore and Tredavious White, which, you know, I suppose could be the Bills starting cornerbacks right it now could. if they really wanted to. But hey, that's not that's just my opinion, man. Uh special teams. Punters Brian Mormon, no debate there. Uh even though Corey Bahorquez has looked pretty good for a couple games. Uh you mentioned McKelvin, but the kicker is someone that uh, I think sparks at least a slight amount of controversy. Tim Graham did not agree with my pick when I first sent this list over a few weeks ago. He thought it should be Stephen Hauschka, but I did not give it to Stephen Hauschka. I gave it to Kick Rock. (laughs) Dan the Man Carpenter. Dan Carpenter, 
who was not amused when I asked him what he thought about people comparing his looks to Kid Rock. He did not think that was entertaining. You know when he also wasn't amused? When he slammed his helmet down and it <laughs> bounced back and hit him in the face. He also was not amused when he got a laser pointer pointed in his eye. Also true, but who would? He was also... Just trying there, to do Wasn't there some... There was an issue with... Uh, Seattle. In Seattle. Did he yeah. miss a kick? Uh, do you remember the... Well, I know his wife yeah, had a moment th- that was that. on the Twitter. Why did she have that moment? I don't even I remember. Think, I don't know. Oh, no. It's because um, somebody took him out. Oh, remember that's that? right. I yeah. forget. I think it was Sherman. Yeah. It was Richard Sherman. Oh, yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I'm with you on Carpenter over Hauschka. But Carpenter, I think, is the easy pick over Hauschka because... He had 34 field goals in 2014 after th- having 33 in 2013. Those were both records for the Bills that have mm-hmm. not been matched. So he also has the best field goal percentage of any Bills kicker this decade. So the argument for Hauschka, Hauschka yeah. was probably a better kicker career-wide, um, is a more accomplished kicker in the NFL than Dan Carpenter, but their Bills careers to this point, Carpenter's was better. Yeah, those two seasons for Carpenter were great. And I think after what happened in Cleveland, people will be okay with this pick. Yes. But I had made it before then um, was when I first filed this, and um, I was thinking that that might be a little controversial. Now I feel like it's uh, – Yeah, you're pretty safe now. It's it's pretty pretty safe pick. Well, look, uh, this – has been a fun exercise. If you want to see the list in full and his full reasoning, uh, be sure to go check out Mr. Fairburn's All-Decade Team over at theathletic.com. And while you're over there, check out my All-Decade Awards. I think I handed out like 18 in total, which are like best trade, biggest free agent bust, biggest draft bust, best um, draft steal, player of the decade, which I already alluded to. Uh, best team, most memorable game, all of that sort of thing. Which, by the way, the rubber pellets, rubber pellet game of Pittsburgh. Remember the game where they brought up all the rubber yes. pellets? Yeah, that that makes an appearance on on the All Decade Award. So be sure to. Uh, I've also got a thing on the most bizarre moments of the Rex Ryan era because it ooh. deserved its own thing. That's how th- how weird those two years were. Oof. So. We've got a lot of fun stuff coming in Decade Week. Yes. So we hope you've enjoyed this podcast, which uh, has been a fun trip down memory lane. I mean, personally, I started right at the the start of the decade. That was my first full year covering the team. So it's been kind of fun going going back. and. Perhaps I should have had you on the all-decade team. I think uh, somebody would have been pissed off, like (laughs) Mayor Honor or somebody. That's like, true. What the hell is this? We love you, Sal. We know you listen. It's great. Um, Sal Mayorana is the the all time Bills reporter. I would say he's been on the beat longer than anybody else. He probably makes more all decade teams than most. Mm-hmm. I would say for sure than probably any uh, than anyone. Yeah. Shout out to Sal Mayorana mm-hmm. of the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle. You should go check out his work. <laughs> Absolutely. Hi, Sal. Hi, Sal. <laughs> See you soon. All right. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Buffalo Beat. Um, there won't be a preview podcast for the Cowboys game. We're just because of the condensed week. We're just going to do a post game wrap up from Dallas, and uh, 
we'll say happy Thanksgiving on, on that day as well. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to this episode, and we will talk to you after the game on Thursday. See you then.